the end of the year is surely a time for reflection on all that is past and also for what awaits us in the future. The purpose of such reflection ought, of course, to enable us to put the past behind us and to set new goals for the future. We can also apply such reflection to our whole lives, to finish our lives well and with peace of mind. I'm sure we would all like to finish this year and indeed our lives with the uh, phrase, no regrets. How might we do this? How might we leave 2019 behind and enter into 2020 with no regrets? And how might we approach the end of our days with a similar expression on our lips? That I've lived my life without any regrets. Well, some people look to the pop singers of a previous generation a man like Frank Sinatra, who advised us the best way is just to do it my way. But here, Paul, in this second letter to Timothy, has a better way. And surely that's good advice, to do our lives in Paul's way. Because ultimately, Paul's way is God's way. Paul is not... Uh, introducing his own self-help guide to living. But he bases all that he urges upon his young protege, Timothy, in this letter, upon what he had discovered of God's leading in his own life and his own commitment to follow and do things in God's way. So our objective this evening is to look together at Just one verse of 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 7, and to see there uh, Paul's way of living that will lead to no regrets. Interestingly, Paul's outline here in 2 Timothy uh, chapter 4, and particularly in this verse, uh, is... Uh, just a series of three key words and three illustrations that lead to three conclusions or results. We have it there in 2 Timothy 4 and verse 7. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Of course, these are very familiar phrases Uh, to most Christians and believers. And they appear in this last chapter of Paul's last letter. Tradition has it that Paul was beheaded in Rome around the year AD 67. And as his epitaph, he chooses this phrase for himself. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. And I have kept the faith. He would have us remember him as a fighter, as a runner, as a perseverer. And as he approaches the end of his life, 
he, in a sense, inspires us towards the same goal that he has been following throughout his life. Paul is writing to his spiritual son, Timothy, passing on to him the baton of gospel work, which will not be an easy task for him. If we, too, are to have no regrets in the coming year, or no regrets at the end of our lives, we must be prepared for the robust work that is involved in being a soldier for Christ, an athlete or a farmer living to the glory and praise of God. So what we do this evening in a, as a means of encouraging ourselves to reflect upon the past year and the year that is ahead is perhaps to see how these three illustrations can teach us what God would have us do in order to honour and glorify him in the coming year and indeed for the rest of our lives. Let me look at the first phrase. We see they could be the words of a soldier. I have fought the good fight. What comes to your mind when you think of a soldier? Well, these are the sort of men and women who are enduring, who are obedient, who are single-minded. You know, military training, training to be a soldier, is quite tough. It's a training that is uh, planned and purposed to give endurance to those who are undergoing such training. It's training that is teaching them to be obedient, to be ready and willing to follow orders, and to do what the chain of command tells them to do. And also a soldier, through his training, is taught to be single-minded, to have one purpose in mind, and that is to be ready to fight the battle in order that the great goal can be achieved, that of victory. For the soldier, all of life must be devoted to the task in hand. In a sense, there may be long periods when the soldier is not at the front, facing the immediate battle. But they are always battle-ready. Their training has been such to prepare them for any eventuality. All the ends of it all, although there is a goal, beyond all the discipline and the grueling hard work, there is the victory. And that is what we are called to be, as the Lord's people, to be soldiers in the spiritual sense, under the command of the Lord Jesus, being trained by him to endure, to obey, and to have this single-minded objective, which is to glorify God in all things. And so as Paul ends this uh, letter uh, with this command to fight the good fight. In a sense, he's revisiting what he 
uh, set as his objective, perhaps as the, uh, the, the early part of his ministry. Uh, in a sense, it's comparable to the image that he initiated with his first letter when he wrote to the Corinthians in chapter 15. He says, But thanks be to God, who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. In a sense, he's summarizing there what is the the goal of being a soldier of Christ. It's to enter into the victory over sin and temptation and the struggles of this life through the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. Notice what he tells us here, that right from the outset, the victory which God intends is given to us. It's not something that we strive for in our own strength, but it is a gift that he gives freely to his people. But there is still a fight to be fought, which will last until the day we die. Our training as soldiers of Christ, of reading his word, of meeting together for fellowship with other Christians, of praying, of exercising, in a sense, agape love, love towards those who are undeserving. All this training is to equip us for the spiritual battle against the world. The world which surrounds us and in which we live and move and have our being and provides us with many temptations, many byways and paths which would lead us astray. A battle to resist the temptations of the world. Also a battle with the temptations of the flesh, with our own sinful nature which can be so easily stirred up by the attractions of the world, the desire to have an easy life, of not to have to put ourselves out, a desire, in a sense, not to uh, do what God wants, but what we want to do, a continual battle against the flesh. And then, of course, the final part of this trio, the battle against the devil, the supernatural being who has set himself up against God and his great desire is to bring each and every one of us down from full obedience to following God and to become enslaved by his vicious rule. And so the soldier is required to be on guard at all times. It requires us to put on the whole armour of God that we read about in Ephesians chapter 6. Having every part of our spiritual being protected against the darts of the evil one. Having the offensive weapon of the word of God to be able to fight against temptation and to oppose evil and wickedness. The battle will continue as long as we're in this life. But one day, the fight will be fought. It will be over. And God will give his church the power and the strength to overcome. Peace will reign. 
and all God's soldiers will rest one day. So Paul encourages us that if we want to have no regrets in our life, we need to learn to commander the command of the Lord Jesus Christ, to follow him, to let him set the agenda, let him control our thoughts and our actions and all that we are as children committed to his care and as soldiers fighting the fight that he promises to be with us in, in the midst. The second image that Paul wants to bring to Timothy as he wants to uh, encourage him to persevere in the faith is that of the athlete or the runner to win the race that is set before him, to follow the course or complete the course, to run round the track as many times as necessary for him to win the prize. The athlete is a a picture of striving and persevering to reach the goal, to actually complete the race that is set before them, the goal to win the prize, to persevere, to strive in order to reach the goal. Of course, this requires a very immense amount of sacrifice to complete the games. The Olympic athlete will go into training, uh, very uh, painful training, and many setbacks with the aim of winning in the end. And Paul wants the uh, wants to instill this long-termism in Timothy and in us. After the exhaustion and self-sacrifice of training will come the prize. Earlier in the letter, in uh, the previous chapter, or sorry, in the following verse, in verse 8, he reminds us of the reward or the benefit of going through such training. Henceforth there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all those who have loved his appearing. What we notice immediately is this provision or the gift of crowns. It might sound strange to us. We tend to think that winners in an athletic competition will get a medal or a trophy or a cup. But certainly in New Testament times, in many of the Greek games, the winner was rewarded with a crown. may have been a crown of laurels or of other uh, uh, flowers or vegetation as a sign of being uh, given the victory in the race. But what do these crowns stand for? And to whom are such crowns given? Well, initially we need to understand that the crown is given not to those who in their own strength have won the, won the race, but actually it is to those who have loved his appearing. There at the end of verse 8, the main 
qualification for obtaining and receiving the crown. It's not all the hard work that the athlete has put in or the Christian has put into his life, but the wonderful picture of grace. It is those who are longing and loving the appearance of the Lord Jesus Christ who are the recipients of the prize of the crown. If we simply love Jesus, if we simply want him above everything else, then we will receive the crown of righteousness. But what sort of crown is it that Paul is anticipating? We could look at various passages, for instance, in uh, Philippians chapter 4 and verse 1. He reminds us there that this crown is related to the people that we've had an impact upon by our lives. In Philippians chapter 4 and verse 1, he says, Therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. You see, for Paul, his crown and his joy are those brothers who had been with him in the trials and tribulations of life. And perhaps even those brothers who and sisters who had come to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ through his ministry. And that's echoed also in uh, the first letter to the Thessalonians and chapter 2. Uh, first Thessalonians chapter 2 and verses 19 and 20. He says, For what is our hope, our joy, or crown of boasting before our Lord Jesus at his coming? It is you, for you are our glory and our joy. The amazing thing is that Paul's crown is to share with the Philippians and to share with the Thessalonians and to share with Timothy in Christ's victory. To enjoy fellowship and communion within the body of Christ. To see the fruit of our labours, of those that we've prayed for and those we've witnessed to coming to faith in the Lord Jesus. That is our joy and that is our prize. Our crown and prize which makes all our efforts worthwhile is to enjoy Christ himself along with all those that we have been privileged to walk with and to live with and to be touched with the love of Christ Jesus. So this is the aim of the athlete. Yes, he must put in the training, but his long-term vision is to receive the prize, just to know Christ better and to enjoy that knowledge in the company of those who have walked with us and have followed Christ alongside us and maybe those who have come to faith and trust in Christ through our life and witness. So we see there then back in chapter or 4 verse 7 that we need to be an athlete to be a runner who finishes the race. But the third picture that Paul gives us here 
that will enable us to look upon our life and our past with no regrets is a picture of the farmer. And it is the farmer who keeps. That seems to be the image here and throughout Scripture. In Genesis 2 and verse 15, farmers are viewed as those who keep their land. The land doesn't belong to them. It's on trust to them from the Lord. They are stewards of what they have received. And their job is to keep and to, in a sense, produce crops from their land and their livestock. And for Paul, the keeping is the life of faith. And the life of faith is rather like farming. An an arduous and glamorous life of perseverance. It's getting your hands dirty. uh, Sometimes having to tread in the muck of this life. To get up in the dark. uh, To get the milk from the cows. and To ensure the sheep are safe. And to work long hours gathering in the harvest at the end of the growing season. That is what farming life is like. That is what the life of faith is like. An arduous and glamorous life of perseverance. But it's not all hard work. There's also reward along the way. In uh, chapter 2 of the letter and in uh, verse 6, Paul speaks of Uh, the benefits that the farmers reap. It is the hard-working farmer who ought to have the first share of the crops. Think over what I say, for the Lord will give you understanding in everything. Yes, farming is hard work. Of sowing the seed of the word and the kingdom of God in the lives of our colleagues at work and our neighbours trying to be a witness to them, sometimes in the face of their indifference, to pray for them and to show love and kindness to those in need. All this is hard work, but there is a reward to such a kind of life. Farmers get to eat their own food, and Christian workers get to enjoy the fruits of their labors too. In the New Testament, this is understood to be those who come to faith. In Romans 13 and 16 and James 1, verse 18, the fruit that the Christian is pursuing by living for Christ is the coming to faith of those who are strangers to the grace of God. This is what will sustain the Christian amidst the hard work of being a Christian. In all our labors, the encouragement of new life and fruitfulness in the gospel is what keeps the Christian going. But the real goal is at the end, when Christ Jesus returns and there is a glorious harvest. So enjoy the first fruits and keep going. The final harvest will be Glorious. So what do these three pictures tell us? Well, surely 
there are three immediate things. Let us long for Christ's appearing, for that will be the end of the fight. That will be the conclusion of the race, and that will be the final harvest. So let us long for Christ's appearing. Let that be our mindset as we enter a new year and as we live out the rest of our lives. But let us also continue to pass on the gospel hope, to fight against the world, the flesh, and the devil, to persevere in the race, to train ourselves up to be more Christ-like and to be able to more effectively pass on the good news of Jesus. Let us be good, diligent, hard-working farmers, sowing the seed of grace for our witness and testimony from day to day. And thirdly, let us meditate upon our calling. We are soldiers. We are athletes. We are farmers. But let us anticipate the glory of Christ's return when we shall taste the victory, when we shall accomplish the race and win the prize, and when we shall see the glorious harvest and enjoy the fruits of that harvest when Christ comes. That's what facing the future is all about. And that is the only life that will lead us to conclude that we have no regrets. Well, shall we conclude our worship this evening as we stand to sing our closing hymn, uh, which is uh, coming up on the screen. Through the night of doubt and sorrow, onward goes the pilgrim band, singing songs of expectation, marching to the promised land. What a privilege it is that part of our crown and our joy is fellowship with each other as we pilgrim through this world towards the Lord's promised land of glory. Let us not forsake our meeting together as believers in the coming year. Let us grow in grace and let us as a church grow in obedience and likeness to our Saviour.